2: I have three adult children who for years have been saying, mom, you have to watch Parks and Rec. They have talked about a little, little bit of Leslie Nope perhaps being in my personality.
1: I, I, you're bringing some Leslie Nope energy. <laughs> Hello and welcome to season eight, episode one of the Think Inclusive podcast. Presented by MCIE. I'm your host, Tim Villegas. This podcast features conversations and commentary with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. Think Inclusive exists to build bridges between parents, educators, and disability rights advocates to promote inclusion for all students. That's right, y'all. All means all. To find out more about who we are and what we do, Go to thinkinclusive.us, the official blog of MCIE, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for joining us for our conversation with Jennifer Spencer Imes, Assistant Superintendent for the Westland Wilsonville School District near Portland, Oregon. We will be talking about the transformation that took place in her district toward inclusive practices. And guess what, y'all? She's got the receipts. But before we get to Jennifer, if you have ever visited thinkinclusive.us over the last eight years, you know that we have always had ads on the website. Well, guess what? Since joining MCIE, there are no more ads getting in the way of you accessing all of our content. Here's the catch we need your support to keep Think Inclusive ad free. Your tax deductible donation will help us expand our reach to people across the United States. In the world to promote inclusion for all students. Go to bit.ly mciegive to make your donation. One more time, that's bit.ly mciegive to make your donation today. Stick around. After the break, our interview with Jennifer Spencer Imes.
2: Hi, this is Jennifer and welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast.
1: Jennifer, it is a um, pleasure to have you on the Think Inclusive podcast, everyone. Uh, We have Jennifer Spencer Imes here. She is the Assistant Superintendent of the Westland-Wilsonville School District, uh, which is part of the Greater Portland area. Um, She recently wrote a book with her co-author Josh Flossie called Leading for All, How to Create Truly Inclusive and Excellent Schools. Uh, Thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you so much. It's my pleasure.
1: So uh, we, we had a chance to talk a little bit before, you know, this podcast, and you got to tell me a little bit about your your journey um, towards inclusion and the, your district's journey toward inclusive education. I would love it if you could just give us a little bit of background. What was the impetus for your school district to go through? this transformation uh, toward inclusive education.
2: Wessel moslinville has uh, 10,000 students, give or take, um, between 16 schools, and uh, about 10% of our students in our district are identified as students who experience a disability and are served by special education. But I really think about a day that um, I spent with a parent, and this was nine years ago, and this was a parent who was very invested in her child, as all of our parents are, and um, had spent time thinking about her child being included as a kindergartner. Her daughter was, um, is very lively and fun and social and also experiences disability. And she was committed to her daughter being able to be part of her community and go to her neighborhood school. And so she started the year in kindergarten in the neighborhood school, and it was challenging. Um, The supports that she needed were not in place. Um, The instructional methodologies and strategies were not in place. And so that mom came to me and she was frustrated and she was worried about her daughter. And at that point we had, as many school districts do, specialized or segregated classrooms for students who experienced um, more significant disability. And so we had the supports and we had expertise to support her daughter, but it wasn't at her neighborhood school. And so we sat there together and realized in order to help her daughter meet her needs, we were going to have to bus her to the other side of town, to a different school out of her community. And that mom cried (laughs) and I cried because I realized in a way that I'd always known, but in a more personal way, how that was going to impact this family and this child. And it was not okay. And so I sat with that mom that day and I pledged to her that we can do better. We will do better. Together, we're going to change our school system. I want to take you forward to a couple years later um, when we were having a Uh, teacher welcome back event, and we had invited a student who had just graduated from high school to come and address our teachers. Um, It's very important to us to include student voice and really listen to our students and their experiences. And so I invited this student, his name was Everett, to come and speak to our teachers about his experience in high school. And he had lived most of his life in our district and had spent most of his life in segregated classrooms with teachers who had lots of expertise in supporting his learning needs and were doing really good work trying to support him and and, um, help him have a great experience and work towards his IEP goals. But what he didn't have was a sense of belonging with the school as a whole, um, was uh, respect and access in general ed classroom with his um, typical peers and then in his junior year we had shifted things in our structure and in our system and so he was able to participate um, in school in a different way in his junior and senior year so we brought him in to talk to teachers and asked him about his experience and what that was like for him in his earlier years of school compared to his junior and senior year and he got very excited and shared um, this sentence that has stuck with me. He said, you know, once they let me out, I discovered I'm a lots of classes kind of guy. I'm a lots of friends kind of guy. I'm a lots of teachers kind of guy. And he talked about how the classes were sometimes harder and he had to work a lot harder. And he um, struggled sometimes with getting feedback about the work he had to do, but he learned through that. And that phrase has stuck with us once they let me out, which reminded me that sometimes as adults and as educators, we might create things with the very best of intentions for students that they might not perceive them or experience them in that same way.
1: Um, So when, so when you started this process, um, what was, what was your original goal? Uh, Because, you know, for some, for some districts, or for even some states, you know, as far as their strategic plan, you know, it's all about the LRE number. So, um, what is it, what was it for you in your district that you said, okay, well, you know what, let, we're gonna, we're going to tackle this goal first.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when we, um, first started, we had lots of conversations, lots of conversations with teachers, lots of conversations with administrators, with parents, um, with students, Uh, gathering um, information in that spring and summer before we I really started the work we started the work in the fall Um, so really understanding where we're at where are the strengths to build upon Um, and there were a lot of strengths already in place in this district around um, a long tradition of um, good community support um a lot of uh, strong academics a lot of strong co-curricular activities so these were um, strengths and much as we think about um in the iep process we're really trying to build on student strengths and help them move forward towards next goals we really think about that as an organization too where are your strengths as an organization that you can build on to reach those next goals so as we had those conversations Three areas of focus really became clear to us that we needed to really improve our instructional practices. We need to change the way we teach so that more students are successful and accessing learning at high levels every day. The second area of focus was creating inclusive cultures. We need to have um, educators who share ownership, who believe all students are our students. Um, We need to create cultures uh, where co-curricular activities are valued and um, participated in by all students and we remove any barriers that might exist for students. Um, So that was our second one was creating inclusive cultures. Our third was increasing student voice. So knowing um, one of the things I continue to learn by reading Um, authors who experience disability, is the importance of um, working with people and honoring their voice as we think about change. So that's been a really important part of that. So those were our big areas of focus. And within there, we did set some very specific goals. So one of the goals that we wrote down on paper that first year was every student um, educated at their neighborhood school. You know it sounds simple, but it 's actually kind of complicated when you actually mean every student and um, you know we 've had again with with great intention over the years in special education we 've set up this model of expertise um, and specialized supports and I'll, I'll put my quotes around specialized um, because the more we learned about um, student needs, we certainly need expertise in strategies and how, but the needs that c- children have are really um, universal in many ways. The needs to belong, the needs to learn, the needs to participate, the needs to feel safe, and we need to support those. So that was one of our very specific goals in the first year that we wrote down is every student um, at their neighborhood school. It took us a couple of years to get there, um, but we knew that, we wrote it on paper, we um, were very specific about that. Some of our other specific goals were every student um, who is served by special education participates in co-curricular activities, at least one per year. And uh, just writing that down helped us get very specific. Uh, we started to have that, um, we added as, as a question on the special factors of our IEP pages. So that once a year, every the team is gonna check in, hey, what are you doing in terms of co-curricular activities? And we found that some students didn't even know they were allowed to be in co-curricular activities. Some of their parents didn't know the process of how do, do you join the robotics team. How do you become part of the debate club? How do you go out for a play if you're a student who experiences disability or join an athletics team? So um, that was another specific goal that we wrote down that we've been able to both have um, quantitative, measurable percentages of, we've increased our percentages every year of students participating in co-curricular goals, but perhaps even more importantly are the stories that we continue to um, gather about that sense of belonging and being part of something that students get when they join a co-curricular activity.
1: What do you, what do you think right now is the biggest challenge to inclusive education?
2: Well, I think that um, changing large systems is hard. It is hard work. And um, we have been embedded in, in doing things in a certain way. And to shift that really is difficult. And I think one of the keys to making change work over time is to have lots of ways to gather data about success and to share that out frequently. So even when it's very small successes. So we have certain structures in place such as what we we call our Monday message where every week we're sharing out um, successes that we see around the district. So it helps people understand they're not in it alone, that other people are working through this as well to be inspired by the successes of other colleagues and other students. Um, that's a, a commitment that we've had and kept, you know, for these full nine years. Um, also to think about those, uh, you know, what are, what are things that we can measure that um, we all feel excited, I think, about um, when you're trying to learn a new skill um, and you're feeling like it's really hard, but you have something that shows you you're making some progress. Um, people need that to feel excited about the work and to feel empowered and that they're, they're moving forward. Um, and one of the uh, focus areas that we talked about before was our uh, emphasis on student voice. And so one of our concrete goals is that 100% of students will lead their own IEP meetings. So when we say that, of course we recognize what that looks like for a kindergartner and for an 18-year-old would be different, but we believe that all students really um, need to be captains of their learning, in the words of Ron Berger, and um, that there are developmentally appropriate ways that even our youngest children can um, be part of that learning. And so we also added that question onto our IEPs, in what ways did the student participate in this, and so we have graphs that we can measure um, are, are more students leading their IEPs every year. And we've had some years where we didn't go up as much as we thought we would. And that's pushed us to go back and say, what were some barriers to that? Uh, we discovered one of the barriers was sometimes families aren't sure that their, their child should participate in their IEP or maybe they don't want them to. And so we, we thought about that. We took that to our parent collaboration group, which is another structure we have to work with parents on moving this, um, uh, keeping us rooted in inclusive cultures. And um, we realized that they maybe didn't know um, why. What are the benefits of a child leading their own IEP? That it actually leads to academic growth. It actually makes it much more likely that they'll achieve their goals. It actually reduces stigma and allows them to know themselves as a learner and not have it be this you know, secretive thing that the adults are talking about behind their back. It increases their ability to be advocates and to transition into adulthood um, with the skills to um, build on their strengths and get their needs met. So we created a, you know, like a welcome packet for parents when their child either moved into our district already with special education services or um, that were newly identified for services through special education. That included a lot of things to try to help them understand our beliefs about um, inclusive education, but also uh, we included a great article, and I'm not thinking of the author's name right now, but the title is Why is this Cake on Fire?, Um, It's a great article about um, students' uh, voice in their IEP and why it's important for them to be in it. And so sharing that with families early on, helping them get them into the why, has been um, something that has helped us um, move that dial and get more students um, positively and actively engaged in the IEP process.
1: Um, Well, that's great. Uh, I love that idea of the welcome packet so I, I just, I just want to compliment you on like as far as from a communication, cause I, my brain is all communications right now, <laughs> but uh, just how well, well thought out it, it is, you know, to, cause all I'm hearing from you is we want to make sure our families know what's going on. We want to make sure, you know, families who, uh, their children are are identified for service you know for services this is what we're going to tell them I mean all of that stuff is just so I think you know it's such a um, obvious um, uh, priority for you in the district so I think that will obviously trickle down you know through throughout the whole district so Anyways, that's, that's great. Well, Tim, Tim
2: I, I want to say that it's um, we keep discovering more that we need to do in terms of communication and more stakeholders that we need to think about. And uh, a couple years ago, um, we had an opportunity through our district, um, what we call a leadership forum. So it involves all the all the principals and all the heads of departments. So H.R. and operations and maintenance and business. Uh, We had a a leadership retreat in August before school started, and um, our superintendent was amazing, and I I went to her and said, could we really spend a a significant amount of time with this whole group talking about inclusive practices and showing everyone the why, and uh, really engaging folks in that more, and it just was very well-received. We're able to show some powerful videos, show some great successes. And um, one of the outcomes that happened that later that year, um, we had a high school student who um, uses a wheelchair for accessibility, and very involved in her student body and activities, and um, she wanted to be at the football games with her friends to um, you know engage in that social life of high school, and. Uh, she reached out to me and said i am not finding this um, stadium to be accessible and so i reached out to our operations department and they said well it is absolutely accessible we meet ada um, you know compliance there's a there's a ramp there's a place where wheelchairs can be so we went out there to look at it and sure enough it was um by the book accessible but where the students Stood and sat to cheer on their team together as a student body was not near where the accessible part was. So it was technically accessible, but it wasn't really leading to an inclusive culture, which is our, our goal. So um, what was amazing was our the physical therapist who knew that student really well and the um, principal, they just reached right out to the head of operations and I believe because we'd spent the time to really talk about the importance of inclusivity, he was just amazing and went over there, met with them, really heard what the student was saying. That was on a Thursday afternoon. Friday night football, (laughs) a new platform had been built that was right there so that she could be right with her peers. And I think that as we think about communication, we have to keep thinking about all the stakeholders, where are our um, do our high school um, staff really understand? Do our school secretaries really know why we're being inclusive? Do our nutrition services folks feel connected to the work? Um, Do our business folks feel connected to the work? So I, you know, I I, I thank you for the compliment. And I appreciate that. And I think we still have more work to do. So, our book "Leading for All" is coming out, I believe, on November second from Corwin Publishers, and uh, we are excited to to share that and see what conversations will come about as um, folks begin to dig in and hear some of our stories. Um, some of the challenges that we had are in there as well. Um, some tools that may be useful to schools uh, that we have found useful in, in moving forward in this journey. And some of our future goals, what we're still working on. You know, we're still working on our preschool is not as inclusive as we would like to be. Um, college opportunities. What happens after high school? Um, and working towards inclusive college opportunities for students. So there, there's work ahead, uh, but it's been an exciting journey and um, it has taken really our whole community to be engaged and on board. And um, I'm excited that uh, to have this opportunity to speak with you, Tim, as someone I know has been such a champion for inclusion over the years and um, excited to keep learning alongside
1: others throughout the country. Well, uh, Jennifer, oh, you know what, before I, before I sign off, um, I, have, I have two questions. Well, actually, one question, and if you don't wanna answer that question, then I have another question. Okay, so uh, it has nothing to do with inclusion at all. So during the pandemic, during all this stuff, everyone's been watching lots of TV and stuff, right? So what what do you think would be your your guiltiest pleasure for binge-watching? And if you don't want to answer that question, you can tell me what you've been snacking on. (laughs) Or both. You can tell me both.
2: I'm not sure if it's my guiltiest pleasure, but um, I have three adult children who for years have been saying, Mom, you have to watch Parks and Rec. You have to watch Parks and Rec. And um, they have talked about a little bit of leslie nope perhaps being in my personality and uh so anyway we've been digging into parks and rec and i love it it's so much fun
1: i i you're bringing some leslie nope energy (laughs) (laughs) very good well well jennifer spencer imes thank you for being on the podcast and uh sharing your thoughts with us
2: thank you so much it was really a pleasure
1: Just a reminder, if you would like to hear the entire unedited recording of our conversation with Jennifer Spencer Imes, become a Patreon subscriber. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast and select the $1, 5 or $10 per month tiers, and you'll have access to over 10 hours of unfiltered interviews. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. And while you're there, give us a review so more people can find us. Have a question or comment? Email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you were listening. Thank you to patrons Tori D., Veronica E., and Kathleen T. for their continued support of the podcast, as well as our $1 per month subscribers. Every little bit helps. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at mcie.org. Thanks for your time and attention. Until next time.